Welcome to Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis. I'm not Eve Sturgis. Uh, this is Kaylin Egan stepping in for the first and probably last time uh, for the very final episode of season five and perhaps even this whole incarnation of this show. I'm here with the one, the only, Eve Sturgis. <laughs> That's a laugh. That was a laugh. Yeah. And a so, cough. We're both sick. Yeah. So we, we did, I, I had some questions about whether we should do this um, uh, in our state of health. But, you know, we've been sick for a long time. And uh, it feels like Eve's idea was let's just push on and let's do it. And this is a podcast about being real. Exactly. And so here we are. Very real. Yeah. By the way, we did discuss postponing this. You had said this was like 10 days ago or something. It was like, oh, we should get it done tonight. And then you're like, no, let's do it next week. I'll obviously be better yeah, by then. Yeah, it will yeah. be a whole week. And, and instead of getting better, you got sick mm-hmm. and I stayed gross. Yeah. So that's <laughs> that's where we're at. Um, but that's not going to let us. Everything's that's, contagious that's with not, Eve and yeah, Kaylin. Yeah, yeah. That is not going to stop us. Um, so uh, some very attentive viewers may know my name from the credits of this show. Uh, I am Kaylin Egan, Eve's husband. Uh, the The idea, I you know, I've obviously listened as a as a great fan, and Eve has been very kind to continue to credit me. But basically, I do nothing. <laughs> I just, I just, she, I watch the kids when she goes to record the podcast. Sometimes that's really my contribution. But, um, but as in the beginning, a, you helped me really kind of shaped the idea. A I lot. sort of helped set it up. Um, you know, and uh, and so I so you know, we we live together and we're married and stuff, but life is very busy. And so it's very rare that I get a chance to really say, it's not rare that I get the chance, but I don't often say what an incredible accomplishment and what a joy the whole project is and has been. And to have any association with it makes me incredibly proud um, and incredibly uh, honored. So Eve, if this is indeed something like a final episode, um, this guy is really proud of you and thinks it's really an amazing, amazing accomplishment that you've done and built entirely on your own. Um, despite a, a whatever minimal, minimal, minimal little boost I, I had in the beginning, this is your beautiful, beautiful endeavor. Um, and you should feel incredible about it. But we'll get to all that. I, you, I mean, I mean, you could speak. You could speak to that right now if you want. No, I did. I yeah. was. Um, I didn't. We didn't plan that. I didn't. You didn't tell me you were going to say all that. Um, that's true. So that's the. Other, so maybe that's thanks. another thing to set up. Is uh, we don't have. We don't really have much of a plan here. Mm-mm. Eve has told me what she would like this episode to be, and I will try to MC that. Um, uh, I think it's very wise and very interesting of her to sort of want to step onto the other side of this interaction. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm very excited that she picked me to, to, to be the host, but, but I also, I'm not a, that good a host. And so this is still Eve's show and I will count on her to step in and, uh, put me back on track if I'm ever off. But the object of today's episode is to really finally let Eve tell her NPE story, um, and to get as personal as her incredible guests have gotten um, for the last five seasons. And so my job, if I understand it correctly, is to push her, push you to open up and to really share the full volume freight of 
your experience um, that that brought you to this community that sort of kicked off the idea for the show that that you haven't really shared in detail yet. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, I haven't. I've I have a I have a sort of standard elevator pitch version that I that I can tell and it's but more and more I've realized I don't really allow myself or push myself to really be honest about about the whole story. And not I didn't think it was unfair to my guests, but honestly, I started to wonder if doing the podcast was a way for me to stay separate from the experience. Sometimes there is a really silly reference, but in um, the Blair Witch Project, there. Good movie. <laughs> Can't a, wait to see where this is going. There's one point where one of the guys, um, the not Josh guy, he picks up the camera, and usually it's the girl that's holding the camera, and then he picks up the camera and looks at her, and he oh, goes, yeah. "Oh, I get it. It's less scary if you're watching the world through the camera." I get why you are so obsessed with holding this thing. Right. And she's like, shut up, stop filming me. Because things are getting really tense at that point in the movie. But in that way, I started to wonder if I was doing that with the podcast, that I was asking everybody to tell their stories so that I didn't have to. That's interesting. Do you think you feel more intimidated to tell this story now that you have heard so many personal stories than you would have, let's say, if you decided to do this as your first episode to tell your story initially and kind of kick it off that way. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I would feel more or less anxious. It would certainly be different because five years have passed. And so there's lots of different details and thoughts and ways that my perspective has grown and changed. So the first first telling and, and last telling would be interesting to compare. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm excited to hear you tell this story. Um, it's been a while for me since I heard it <laughs> as well, or lived it. I right. lived it. So we're going to do that. And then I do want to ask you more about this show and your experience with this show and talking to so many people and what that has been like. Um, and then to end this episode, we want to sort of talk about what you're imagining might happen in the future. What could happen as a sort of a season six or a new iteration of the same project in kind of a different different format so that's what we're going to try to do so the first thing i guess really do we need to take a break do we have to pause now yeah we have to um we have to set up a space for that um adorable commercial (laughs) with our kids um okay so let's do that now quick commercial then we'll come back and we'll hear eve tell her story So, Eve Sturgis, mm-hmm. hello. Hello. Welcome to your show. Thanks for um, having me. I didn't think of this really until right now, but is there any value in in telling them what happened to me? Yeah, and and now that you mention it, it's sort of like the first part should be you talk. You talk. I, I won't do. I won't take very long to do this, but yeah. but it is. I just did think like, oh, it's funny, like. This whole this all started because I got a weird message. Yeah. And I always tell it, that's part of the thing where I say, like, I have a sort of memorized summary where I always say, Oh, it started with a phone call. And it didn't start with a phone call. And it didn't, they didn't, it didn't start with anything to me at all. Yeah. I got I mean, I'll I, I used to tell this as well, but I haven't told it in a while. But let me see if I can do it in a way that just sort of gets cuts the chase fairly quickly. 
So in 2018, I still remember where I was. I was, I think I was like at my office or sitting in my car, maybe even, and I was checking Facebook or I noticed I had a Facebook direct DM and I was like, okay, this is weird. And I usually, I would just delete those. Like, and this one was from a from, stranger from, from, from someone I in didn't the know. other account in the yeah. other file. Yeah. It was just like, Oh, it's a message from some rando. And I didn't know what it was. And I, it had been sitting there, I guess for weeks or something, a few weeks, maybe a couple of weeks. And Instead of deleting it, I clicked it, and it was from somebody named Peter. I can't say names. You can say his first name. Just don't say his last name. Sorry. So I got this message from a stranger whose name is Peter, and uh, I opened it. And I I don't usually tell this. People kind of know where this story is going, so I think it's fair to sort of spoiler alert this thing. But um, as soon as I saw the guy's face... I there some bells went off like some strange alarm bells went off at the second I saw his face and the content of the message to me alone basically was hello my name is Peter uh, and um, I have some information about your wife that you may want to know basically that like it was almost it was maybe like a degree less creepy but that was basically what it was I agree it was maybe a degree less creepy but really not by much. And there's, there's a hard way to not make that creepy. Yeah. And he, had, he, he included in that very first email some details about Eve's life that I knew that I knew to be like true. Oh, and oh, but the part that made it super borderline ultra creepy was that he said, and, you know, if you reach out, like maybe she never needs to know about this or something. Yeah. And it was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. oh, wow, I forgot about that. Yeah. And so first thing I did was screenshot it and send it to Eve and be like, what is this? Do you have any idea what this is? And I would have, I actually probably would have deleted it except that he had included some things that said like, I know this, this year was, this was going on and and those things checked out. So I was like, well, Eve, what do I do? Like, what is this? Yeah. And I can say that, um, this is the stuff I don't normally talk about. So this is a, a good opportunity for me to, um, take a beat and say that, uh, I had a, there are some like details of my childhood that are fairly complicated to get into, but it includes having a foster sister who I grew up with. Her name is in the in the message. So that was the f- one of the first like details that that clued that just just set off bells that he 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 really did know what he was talking about or knew me or knew my parents and he mentioned like an address and a town. And all those right. it was um not in a stalker way, address of the town, but in a in a like really personal, intimate. Nobody knows these details about my life, especially especially they might refer to those things with my parents, but not me. Yeah. And because he mentioned my sister, I call her my sister. Um, it scared me, and that's stuff I don't I don't talk about very much. I just was very scared about what kind of information he. Yeah. Was suggesting that he had. Yeah. But you didn't have a very first blush instant thought about what this was. No, no. And I, I consider myself or did consider myself like very close with my parents and they have a very, um, they've always been very open about, about their life and their friends. And like, I, there's no friends that they have that they grew up with that are a part of their biography that I don't know the name. There's like nobody that would come up. So for a name for this man to have a name, I never, ever heard, but he knew this incredibly intimate information felt scary. 
Yeah. So I sent that to Eve, like texted it to her. And I think that we don't, I don't even think we spoke, but she texted back like, I don't know what this is, but I guess call him. I think Eve was sort of like, you, there was a phone number and she was like, you you know, might as well reach out and see what he wants. And I'll, and like, in all honesty, when I, in between sending that note to her and like clicking on this profile and seeing photographs of him, I started to get a little bit of a suspicion about what was happening and and the you know we can get deeper into that especially and it's more interesting to hear eve talk about it but he just looked like her like there was parts of his and aspects of his of his profile facial you know profile that was like "Mm, weird so i called him and he was like oh i'm so glad you called (laughs) I don't know why that's um, like, funny too. Yeah, it was like he was so magnanimous and like grand with his like, wow, like what a blessing to hear from you, you know. And the and he goes like this. He was like, he was like, um, first of all, she's saying this to me. Congratulations on your career, and what a wonderful job you've done with Lily, Eve's daughter. It just seems like you guys have a really beautiful marriage. And I was just like, what is he talking about? And I didn't say thank. I wasn't like, oh, thank you, sir. I was like, what are you talking? I was. I think it was sort of like. I okay like what I don't know what this phone call is and then he basically said in a in in a slightly long and sort of um more you know grandly presentational way you know I uh am her real dad I'm Eve's real father and uh you know I just I'm sick and I may be dying and, and I've been watching her for her whole life and you know, my family has been, I think he even said like my family has been sort of observing her. They know about her. Um, but I, I, I wanted to respect the distance that, you know, her mother, uh, clearly wanted, but I did not want to die and have her think I had, and then have her find out later and think I never tried to reach out. (laughs) And so I was like, that is a complicated narrative. You've just spun, sir. Um, and so I was like, okay, like I'm going to talk to Eve, I guess. And he's like, yeah, please, please do. So then, I, so then I, I remember trying to call Eve, and I don't actually totally remember where you were. Maybe you were at work or something. I had been in a meeting. Yeah, and, oh. and I told her what I found out, and then we went to Barney's Beanery. <laughs> That's always the funniest <laughs> detail to me. Uh, um, but then, but then you take over because now you're in the scene. So, so you tell your experience from from here. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, so all that happened, unbeknownst to me, I went to work. And felt fairly determined to have a as regular as possible day, and uh, and then and then the messages came in. So Kaylin came in and got me. And for what it's worth, it was raining, which is so unusual in LA, which just makes the day all the more surreal. And I got in the car. I remember sitting in the car and feeling very small in the car, physically, like I was very tiny in the seat. And you sort of like cued it up with a with a like supportive statement of like, hey, like I you didn't say hey, but like, oh, you know, something very it was very it was very sweet. And like, hey, I just want you to know that like I support you and I love you and I think this is a big deal, but I'm going to be with you through the whole thing. And at that point, it's like if there had been like a ticker tape or a movie screen of 
of ideas of what this could be about. By this time, it's going so fast that it's just chaos. And it's not panic, but it's like, at first it was like, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. And then by, by the time you're getting to that statement, it's like, it's this, 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 you know. And you said, he thinks he's your dad. Yeah, I haven't like relived this, this moment, I think, since it happened. I don't know that I've talked about it this, this very moment. Um, I think that I was smiling because it, in a, in a, I, think, I think a lot of people would understand this sort of like absurdity of it. Of just like, what? Like I have this physical memory of my cheeks and my jaw being sort of tense in a in a stuck smile. And you said, I think, something along the lines of like, what should we do? What do you want to do? And I said, I think we should eat. It could be in that moment also. So that same morning I had broken my phone. And it shattered. I remember that too. So yeah. like we had, so it was like, okay, the first order of business is that I have to, I have to have a phone if, the, if this, because of what's happened and then I need to eat. So we had this, so you drove like two blocks to around the corner to the phone store. And that is memorable only because I was having my first or only or most clear, like Alice in Wonderland moment where the world was sort of spinning yeah, slow motion upside down. I was like, oh, this is what, and I think I may have even said it out loud. Like, this is what people mean when they say through the looking glass. Like mm. it really was like my vision was either inside my mind or, or really outside warping. So I got my phone and we could Google him. And the very first thing I, I didn't have the feeling that Kalen has had when he looked at the pictures and thought something about this looks like Eve. I didn't think that it wasn't like, oh, I was looking at myself, except for the frickin' eyebrows. Yeah. Which have been a, like, a, a, you know, like a, phys- a point of, like, physical uniqueness that I have had my whole life, that have been commented on my whole life by everybody. I have his eyebrows, or he has my eyebrows, or, you know, I just thought, like, immediately, oh, it's the eyebrows. Now I know where I get the eyebrows. Because I remember it being incredibly surreal as well. And but I don't I could I actually can't sit here now and tell you if I remember thinking, oh, this is guaranteed true. But even though I knew those photos looked very familiar, but did you did you feel like, oh, it's true? I so either he said to you in 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 on the phone call and then you relate to me or we saw it on the Internet when we looked him up. There was things about his life that were church related that and my family was very church-related at the time of my conception and birth. And he was from Washington, D.C., and that is where we lived. And there were just things that fell into place like very quickly that made it feel like it must be true right away. And I knew, and I've worked a lot in my life with therapists and you know other, other supportive resources, to not be impulsive. So I knew there was like a responsible step we could take. And I think it was like, well, a DNA test would prove, would, would just, would answer this. And that would, so then I could freak out and say, like, I don't need to freak out or freak anyone else out. There's a really easy way to solve this, but everything was lining up quickly. And there's definitely, it wasn't like, 
Because, I mean, when I first got the message, I was like, what's this grift? What's this shakedown mm-hmm. money or whatever it may be? But that that seemed to go away with the phone call to me because there wasn't really an ask. There was kind of a narrative as opposed to a, a sort of request or something, you know. Right. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, so then, so then, I mean, I guess we'll move ahead because then we did we did the test he went to a place near him you went to a place near us and we waited like a week or something for results Mm -hmm. and then yeah and it was like what was going on between you know that those periods before you got the the actual answer yeah more more surrealness more more carrying on with life but sort of feeling like there was a um I don't know, like a saran wrap of this other reality, like surrounding everything or between me and everything else. And uh, I have very, like, very visceral memory of the woman swabbing my cheeks in the lab, going into to some lab. And um, you have to go in. It was sort of like a system where you went in with all these envelopes and things that sealed and tubes and felt very forensic. Um, <laughs> and... She really rubbed my cheeks really hard and I'm just thinking, just sort of clocking it, just clocking like, okay, that's a part of this experience. Cheeks, rubbing the cheeks hard. You know, there's another thing that I forgot that I sort of wanted to introduce here, which is interesting, which is that you, I remember when this happened, you had been trying to sell a a book proposal about you and your life and your relationship to your parents like all of that was kind of part of it. And I remember you sort of, some of the feedback was like, it was almost as direct as there, it feels like there's more to the story or like mm-hmm. the story is like not fully there or something, or you need to find the the angle that is like more true or fulfilled, fulfilled or whatever. Yeah. It was just like, and I even do this. I can, I can only describe it like with my hands by like making hand gestures that something was missing. Right. And I knew it and the people that helped me, right knew it and it just felt like i had done everything i could yeah but but knew it wasn't there but felt like it was you know i could go out with it because i didn't know what i didn't know i only wanted to bring that up because the it i remember so much about the first year six months or a year or something being kind of like oh well there's a there's some version of an answer but what an, an impossibly complex answer that doesn't just fit into the narrative that you developed for about yourself that you're still probably, you know, kind of processing. Um, I remember it sort of froze your writing about your life. Um, yeah, it's fro. It, it, yeah, it absolutely has froze, has froze, <laughs> freezed my writing. Absolutely. So then you got the results and did your experience did your feelings change did the surreality start to fade like what how did that settle no i think i had one of those like it was surreal because it wasn't surreal or it was an odd moment because i didn't have very many feelings like when i opened opened the letter that confirmed you know that he was 99.9997 or whatever you know percent um paternal match i kept I, I thought I would have feelings in my body. Like I thought I would feel a wave of something. Not unlike, you know, like thunder would have boomed or something, the mirror would have cracked. And it was nothing. Like the world was the same and I felt the same. 
I remember where I was in the house. So it was, and it was kind of like, okay, now it's on to the next step. It's so weird. It's so weird being, I kind of don't have words for so much of this. I mean, it's hard for me to describe, but because it's some, somewhere in there, I became extremely worried about my parents. Did you feel that before you read the letter or did that seem to start that anxiety? I don't remember. It all kind of blurs together. I mean, I know you made a very conscious decision not to tell them that yeah. any of this was going on before you had results. Yeah. If you can remember kind of who were you telling and who did you feel comfortable talking to about it? Uh, like my closest, closest, dearest friends. And then also like a bartender. We went, oh, yeah. we went and got like, a, we went to oh, yeah. Little Beast. Oh, like yeah. Like the first night, remember? Was that before we got the result? I think so. I think it was like the oh. night or the within a few nights. Well, talk a little bit about that because that was that was kind of the first time we you had an idea and it was a pretty visceral reaction that this might not be so uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. So, I t- yeah, I, I, we were at this neighborhood place uh, called Little Beast. And it's a very small bar. And so we were chit-chatting about it. And the bartender sort of organically became a part of the conversation. So we told him what happened. And he said, oh, yeah, that happened to me. <laughs> like almost immediately. Forget his story exactly. But it was like, yeah, there was this kind of this family friend. When I was 12, he took me camping. And I thought that was kind of weird. And then later, my mom was like, yeah, that guy's your dad. It's not the guy that I'm married to or whatever. And it was it. There was something weirder about the story, but that's like those the details I remember is the camping trip. I think there was a woman at the bar too who was like, "Oh, I know someone yeah. who that happened yeah. to," and we were like, just like, "What is this?" Like, yeah, it was. It felt, and I actually then remembered some people it had happened to in right. my life in different ways, not through direct to consumer DNA tests, but but similar weird, you know, phone calls or someone visited or a letter came. Yeah, and I started to think, oh, this is probably everywhere. Yeah. I guess I'm still talking about it kind of like cerebral. Like these are the facts. This is what happened. But um, I was angry. Things were happening inside me like a mile a minute where it was amazing. It was surreal. And then I would get angry and then I would sort of laugh at the absurdity of it. But meanwhile, there's um, I have, you know, a teenager and a baby <laughs> and a job. I was starting to feel angry right away. I was like I don't know if angry is the word, annoyed, irritated, incredulous, astounded, just because my parents, there was a lot that happened like growing up that was in our house that was really focused on a like purity model of family values and so much a part of like our family narrative or like the mythology of my parents. Marriage was about them being, you know, high school sweethearts saving themselves until marriage, all these values that they wanted us to to embody. And knowing, although I had never articulated it maybe out loud, but that I had failed at all of that on so many, in so many ways. I couldn't do it. I wasn't as strong. Across as, your life. You yeah. Know, not over, now, yeah no, like, no, not, not now. But like back at- over my life, I had started failing and never been able to connect with that this side of them and you know and like the 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 most obvious example is um that was for everyone to see is that I got pregnant when I was uh 22 in college unmarried 
there was just there was just a lot that went unsaid during that time that that but was very 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 felt by me about about all that about um shame i guess i guess it, you know shame so so that being the most obvious example but just sort of a whole lifetime of so th- so this possibility and then reality that just made you feel like they had been completely hypocritical or yeah i guess it was hip like hypocrisy was what i was thinking about um i mean maybe not even more like just i mean just bullshit like what like are you kidding me are you kidding me you had so many opportunities to like to explore the imperfections of being human and grace maybe giving us grace or allowing for grace or giving space for grace. Um, And there just wasn't any of that. And of course, like as an adult, especially as a therapist, I understand a lot about deflection and reaction formation. Um, And I can understand a lot of what was happening unconsciously for them, but especially in those first even now, I mean, I was, but especially in those first, first days, days and weeks and months, I was, I was having a lot of anger, disbelief. You, you did eventually go to your parents with this information. I thought, I thought I would talk to my mom first. And I was very concerned about, well, two things. One is that I was, I was, I knew that she, I knew that she would be upset. <laughs> it feels obvious, but I knew that this was going to be terrible, terrible information. I felt angry and I felt right in my anger. And I felt confused and I felt like I really wanted to process this my way, my experience, my way. And I wanted to hold on to that. That felt very important and like precious to me. Not just the anger, but all of it. I wanted to hold on to this. And I knew that she was going to be so upset and it is so hard and impossible for me to see my mother in pain that I knew that she would ask me to promise things that I would agree to that I didn't want to. So I knew that it would be whether it was don't tell anybody, don't tell your dad, don't write about this, let's pretend this never happened, don't ever say that name again, like Whatever it was, I knew that I would be like, okay, 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 it's okay, it's okay. I would tell her, you know, I would tell her it was okay immediately. I would tell her, I would do anything I could to like relieve her pain. Um, And I didn't want that to happen. So I was very like conflicted about, about that. And the other thing I don't talk about that I'm going to put out here tonight is that um, I became very, very concerned that she would kill herself. I don't know if anything needs more needs to be said about that, but I have a very, very, very clear image in my mind of what I was afraid would happen. And then it sort of ran on loop during those days. I don't know if it matters if I need to say, for the record, my mother has never been a suicidal person. I don't know if I need to say that, or there's no, I don't have anything to really base that fear on beyond sometimes things are just too much for people. And I was just so afraid that this would be after a life with a lot of a lot of challenges, I was afraid this would be the thing. I decided to call my aunt, who was her sister. And I thought, if anybody knows anything about this, it will be my aunt. And she 
did not. She said she didn't know anything, although she had, she was starting to get some sort of fuzzy memories of some conversations that had happened 35 years ago. And she was happened to be going to visit my parents around that time. So I wrote my mom a letter and I sent it to my aunt who agreed to take it to my mom, give it to her for two reasons. I wouldn't be there to have to promise anything I didn't want to promise and my mom wouldn't be alone so she couldn't hurt herself. So that's what we did. Did you then hear, I mean, obviously your aunt called you? Yeah, they told me, she told me as soon as as the letter had been handed over and, you know, sort of immediately reported that there was tears and that my my dad was pulled into the conversation immediately, that my, uh, my dad, my birth certificate father, the man who raised me, um, and so that was a that was a clue to me already that he had also known about this this whole time, so I didn't have to worry about that anymore. And then in the in the letter I say, you know, I'm not angry, but I don't want to talk to you guys right now. Uh so please give me some space while I process what are the next steps. And immediately they started calling me. Mm-hmm. And I think there's people that will listen hear that and go like, Oh, of course they did. Oh, they weren't listening to her. They weren't respecting her boundaries, but it also feels like the kind of thing a parent might do um, as a fairly forgivable blunder. Uh, and I did not talk to them for a while. I mean, did, what what did happen next? Like, what was the next part of yeah, your it's processing? Yeah, so, I mean, it's so wild because it's like the story, that's really like, so, sorry, I'm thinking about how we're going to have to edit this down. I feel like I'm making, that's okay. I'm making this so long. I think making it long is okay. So, okay. The rest of our life is happening. While this is happening. So I'm working. We have a baby. We have a teenager. We're looking on Facebook. Um, We're looking on the internet. I'm reading all these articles about him. Talking to my friends. It feels like it's important to say that we also had this other sort of family crisis happening in our home. Um, not, Not an incredibly unique one, but one with our teenager, teenager, Lily. And so... I had said, we had said to Peter, yes, you are definitely the father. Hold on a second, because we have this other thing going on that we have to deal with, but we'll be in touch. And he said, of course, I understand. Tell Eve she's related to the Mayflower or something like that. We're dealing with this family thing. I'm thinking about what do we do? Do we go out and visit him? Do we do we all go? Do I just me alone? Do me and Kaylin go? Like, what should we do there's not really the time to go right now because we have this thing happening in our family so meanwhile i'm looking at his facebook every day and he's got these updates about his lymphoma cancer and i watched when he posts that he the he just did a scan and he's cancer free hallelujah walking out of the hospital feeling so good today so I see that message or post and um, dealing with our family stuff. So one night I'm, um, I, I, I'm on Facebook and I get a message from somebody that says, the funeral is tomorrow and we wanted to know if you're going to be there or if you would like to, I forget how she said it, but it was like, 
would you like to be listed as his child? She said something like that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, the tone was that um, she assumed I knew already about the funeral tomorrow. And that also there would be like a live link because so many people wanted to attend. That's how you found out he had died. That's how I found out he died. And what went through your mind then? Total disappointment. Just disappointment. Um, just felt like the the it had already been the strangest like summer of our lives, and so it just felt like, of course, like, of course, yet another strange twist in this surreal story, and and I also knew immediately. Oh, my parents are going to be relieved. I just knew that. And I sort of had empathy for them even then. Like, oh. But felt really disappointed that I hadn't met him. And it just confused everything. It felt it felt like now now I ha- I have all these siblings, which I, I have all these siblings and That's right. But hard. then you'd found out that you had like what, six or seven? Yeah, there's six six or seven or eight of them and it was just it just became it just became more complicated kind of immediately so as far as connecting with with that side of the family because now they're grieving (laughs) and now and and his death um had been not cancer related it it was a um i mean although his body was probably very vulnerable but it was a like a blood clot that um surprised everybody so so they were all grieving and um and I didn't know who knew, and I didn't know what they knew. Like this woman that contacted me to this day, I don't quite exactly know who she was, but I think she was a family friend. She seemed to think I knew things that I didn't, and it was just a totally bizarre conversation in a summer of bizarre <laughs> experiences, I guess. Yeah, so I guess the other things I I don't talk about very much is that I um, the other things that happened that summer was was the things happening in our home, which were hard and stressful for everybody. Uh, and I also had a miscarriage. So that it just felt like another bizarre day in the, in the bizarrest summer of my life. And, and it was a, it was a disappointment and it was, and I thought it just, it, Yeah. And I didn't tell anybody. Well, I mean, you, of course, knew. And I had one friend that had known that I was pregnant. But it just, it just, it felt significant in a in a very quiet way. <sighs> I'm curious if you can talk about how those things are related in your I mind. Know. Other than the, I mean, maybe just the time. But when you, so, do you associate them as the same kind of emotional experience as the well I don't know it just seems like if that's part of the story right what, what is that emotionally for you or, or sort of why does that why is that an important piece to relate um well it felt like a hard a hard not 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 the hardest experience I've ever been through by any means but a, but a somewhat painful, uncomfortable, emotional experience to go through that I couldn't 
Um, I was going through so much. I didn't want anyone's pity. It just felt, I guess it just, it felt, I felt alone in that experience in a summer of lots of experiences of feeling alone. (laughs) Yes. Felt like another one. Um, and then, and then when my parents and I decided, they, they sort of insisted that we talk eventually at the end of the summer. And I could have, I could have held, I guess we could have held firm, but I felt like I could talk to them. The day they could come, the day they were like, we're coming, we're coming over and we're talking this day. It happened to be the day that was my, my high school reunion. And so I missed my high school reunion. And I don't even know if I wanted to go, but it still feels symbolically like some way that this event or these their actions took away my agency of, of the year or further complicated or, or I don't know. Then I don't know what to compare it to. Did you want to talk to your parents? I don't think I was ready, but I felt, I don't think I was ready. And I, I don't know that I, but I, right now in my memory, I have like a feeling of powerlessness or, or resignation of like, fine, we might as well talk. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we, we do have to talk. <laughs> okay. Like it, I, in a, in a kind of resigned way. And my mom had sent me, to be fair, my mom had sent me uh, one email or, or, or written a sort of written me a letter um, of her version of events. And so I did have more knowledge of, of what had gone on, but her narrative was very different than the very, very little narrative we got from Peter. And I knew I would, I felt like I would never get the truth, really. I mean, can you talk about the what the conversation was like? Like, did your mom, what did she say? I never thought about it till right now, but I think I don't remember. She cried really hard. She did say, I'm sorry. Which so many people don't get in this community. So many people come and tell their stories and don't, don't get apologies. I, I remember feeling like I... I think I understand more about their choices. They didn't need to explain some of their decisions to me. I felt like I understand what it must have been like to make decisions at that age, in this, in that time, under that much duress. I don't need them to explain, walk me through the logic that I could now take, you know, pick apart. So I could cruelly, you know, sort of pick it apart if I wanted to. They thought they were doing the right thing. And, you know, and there's things about their story that I don't get, I don't get angry about, but I sort of roll my eyes and I think that, like, there's parts of their story that don't make sense, their version of things that don't make sense. And they'll say one thing and then later something will come up that will sort of discredit the other thing. And most of those details I obviously don't want to get into right now. But I just don't feel like pointing that out to them. You know, I don't feel like this needs to be, that anybody needs to be on trial. And then I need to be like, but on the morning of this morning, you said this, and now you're saying this. And How did it change 
I mean, I remember you kind of went through a very interesting and very rapid shift in assessment of their experience as maybe young married people um, who were dealing with this. And I just wondered if that if that was how that was for you to kind of reevaluate what what maybe have been going on inside their house when when this happened. It humanized them in a way that I hadn't realized I want I wanted or needed so badly. It made it totally. I thought I already knew all their flaws or I had, you know, I thought the. Like idolization of my parents had come crashing down. Before already at all the appropriate like developmental stages, but this was a level um, I, I didn't expect. And it, it made me think about all relationships and what we know versus what's really happening. It made me think about what people get through. And it made me think about time. For me, this was this fresh, hot, explosive experience for them had been they had dealt with thir- 38 years before. Um, and I, and well, you say dealt with, but that, right. But <laughs> I yes, ex- did not deal with, they experienced it and put it away. Did not want to deal with it ever again. And 38 years had gone by. Um, yeah, that's very different. You're right. The word dealt is not, and I'll say, and I'm really not trying to be, I don't know. I'm not trying to be cheesy, but it gave me more respect for their marriage and them getting through this this time and this time that had happened 38 years ago. And maybe they got through it by putting it away and never dealing with it. But now they're dealing with it. And um, I, yeah, I, I does that answer your question? I feel like I just and I and I felt like. This was something I could never explain to my mom. If she ever listens to this episode, I felt very sympathetic to her and saw her as a a real human female in a way that I had never considered before. And that was a really powerful experience to feel that way about her. And I know that you felt a certain amount of, I mean, when you talk about your mom that way, it it kind of reminded me that you took, maternal is the wrong word, but a slightly more, I think when you're talking about humanizing them, it was seeing them as children or Mm -hmm. as young adults in Mm -hmm. a way that like presently, not just imagining it, but like, oh, this is how you are in this case. And I'm a little bit more evolved on this one. On this one. Right. Right. So I wonder if you can, we can keep talking about this, of course, as it comes up naturally, but like, I'm very, very curious as we sort of start to get to the origins of this show and then your experience right. with this right. show. Right, that's what we're supposed to do. What the, what the, how you found communities, what your first interactions with them were like, how that evolved into sort of more interaction than where this all came from, if you can sort of talk through that whole run. The only reason humanizing my mother mattered, matters in the story is that I became, I felt acutely aware of the shame that she was carrying, is carrying, was carrying, has been carrying her whole, my whole life about this, about all the, all the pieces of this puzzle and wanting to help her with that. Because in my life, 
as an adult in the resources and, and the people that I found in adulthood that helped me the most were people who said, you're not alone. Me too. I did that too. I've done that once or twice or what, you know, all the things that I had, had done to discover that to, to be, to have that shame lifted was such a powerful experience for me, especially in my late twenties um, and early thirties in LA. And I wanted that for her so badly. And pretty early on in my discovery, it feels very early on. It's actually your mom sent me an article um, that in my community and any, that's listening to this, everybody knows that article that was in the Atlantic um, that featured Catherine St. Clair. And, she, and it was about how she had started a support group on Facebook. And this is how you could join it. So I contacted them immediately and was in that Facebook group. And I was in within the first 700 people. And, and I, I sort of jumped in as is my nature. Um, and, and, you know, and everybody, it's so funny. I like, it's a Facebook group, so it's not real, but it's like, everybody's talking with each other. It's like going into a huge party or convention or something support group, I guess. And everybody's telling their stories. We all have these commonalities and differences, of course, but, um, and I'm, I'm seeing in real time, I'm watching this group grow and, you know, for anybody that doesn't know, that group has like 10,000 people in it now. And I watched it grow like person by person every day and was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. This, and I was, I was relieved for me, but what I, what I wanted, I don't know if this makes any sense, but what I wanted was I felt sort of excited for my mom because I wanted her to know that all these, all these, this was happening all the time. And maybe the problem was in the system of marriage and communication and relationships and religion and not the problem was her. And I wanted her to see that. And I also had, I wanted, I just thought, oh my gosh, everyone has to know how common this is. This, and how this is, they're, they're, we're walking among you. You're walking among us. Like it's everywhere. We all should know this so that we can make better decisions. I wanted better informed decisions and I have three friends that I can say in my lifetime who have um, become pregnant and wanted to make decisions based on uh, not telling or lying about who the father was. And that's happening in my lifetime. And Facebook exists in my lifetime. And the and internet. DNA discovery. Right, DNA yeah. discovery. So d- testing. So they're making that decision without thinking about it now like I can forgive my parents pre-internet for making you know for thinking they could move across the country and that they would never never be found but people now need to know the reality like how real this is and so somehow in that having never always been a writer never been a podcaster um I was like I will do a podcast about this I just thought and so I don't know. You and I started talking about it quickly, early, very early. And I think we also knew it became clear to me that we were witnessing and, and a part of a phenomenon. This can't, this isn't going to happen forever. This wave isn't going to grow and grow and grow. I think it will eventually DNA will be everywhere. No one would dream of doing this kind of thing. 
everyone will know who everyone is because we're giving drops of blood and eye scans and DNA, you know. So we'll talk about this time in history and it thought, and, and you and I, I think as storytellers and uh, that's what we, that's what we love to do the most, you and me together. And um, it just thought, oh my gosh, we have to document this. We have to document this. Like we have to collect these stories or I have to collect these stories. Um, yeah. It did feel like a total watershed, like something, mm-hmm. something had dramatically changed in the world that meant there would be a before and after Mm -hmm. and that you were right in the middle of that moment. Um, And so, you know, why not take on the opportunity to to interview people and hear that variety? Um, So, so that's a very succinct way of putting the, the decision, but, but how, what did you expect and what, what was it like, you know? (laughs) Uh, don't know what I expected. But I do know that even after the very first interview, um, it was way more powerful of an experience for me than I expected. And I had been so focused on on this, get the story out and get people to hear these stories so that the world could know. And like, let's, let me help my mom lift the shame and have her know that she's one of thousands of, tens of thousands of millions of, of, of women who have faced this. Um, uh, I had not thought about how it would feel to me. And mm. so for me, so really powerful for me. Um, also, in a lot of ways, just a lot harder than I thought it would be. I'm much more, and I t- I've talked about this, and if you've been listening, this is, sorry, this is repetitive, but like I'm incredibly nervous when I'm talking with people um, and not very good at, I feel like I'm not, I'm just not very good at like real time responding um, lots of things that don't, I feel like don't really lend to exactly what I envisioned, but it is what it is. And I, and it's the first thing, it's the first thing I've ever done really imperfectly and kept going <laughs> despite knowing it was very, very imperfect and not always how I wanted it. Well, I do know that for what it's worth that our, com- we, we talked about what the format should be mm-hmm. and imperfect was the order of the day, like, yeah, like sure. letting it be loose and honest and awkward um, and exploratory and that you'd never had to become some Barbara Walters of right. the DNA world, you know, I guess that's what I was hoping <laughs> though. I think I was fantasizing that maybe I was like a natural Barbara Walters or like Oprah would just be a part of who I was. Right. No, well, that's not the case. Or journalists. Leave that to like, someone else to decide. Right, a but better journalist. Whether you were or not, but but or are or not. Did doing this show change how you want to tell your story? And if so, how? Right. I feel like there's something huge about the world, about navigating experiences when none of us will ever get the whole truth. Um, so, so there's like a lot of concepts like that I would like to explore in a bigger way than I probably would have initially because Mm -hmm. of of how many people I've talked to. I don't know if that answers the question. But I'm also very, very curious what you feel now is kind of undone about your processing of all this information. And this, this, you know, I I know there are things that you haven't done yet. um, And maybe that's a way to talk about what you want the show or this project to become. Ah. What do you want this show to be? coming up you mean Mm -hmm. yeah so 
Well, well let me ask another. Let me ask that another way. Mm-hmm. I want to know kind of why you would why you've decided to stop this format, this version right. of the show, right? Um, and what you want to do next, and right. and kind of how 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 you might approach it, and why. You know, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I think that that people maybe listening to this would be curious to know why you feel this has reached a kind of natural pause or end point, um, and then what you want it to become and, 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 and what they can expect, I guess. So I have loved, loved, loved doing the show. The power of being in conversation with people about their experiences is what I like feed, I don't know, feed off of, survive off of, have loved, has kept the show going this whole time. Um, it's been really great. Um, it also has been a lot of hard work and the past year, especially it became, even though it was the exact same format, it, it felt harder than ever. Um, and priorities have, have shifted a little bit as far as the time that I want to be able to spend with my family and home life. And, um, so I think that's part of the shift. Um, and the other thing is that, uh, there's been some more podcasts have, have cropped up and, um, they are also doing a, a format not unlike mine, you know, and um, which which is great, but it just feels like there's a, there's like a lot of us doing this right now, and there's something about it that feels a little bit repetitive. Guests will sometimes go on a visit with a bunch of us and do sessions, and then they do the same episode. You can hear you can hear the same episode five times on five different podcasts. I just started to think, and like. To be honest, to be honest, um, Kaylin, and you know this, uh, this podcast, it's the resources that it takes. And I mean, just in time, you know, time, time and energy, but also financially, um, it just was starting to feel like, uh, what, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> what? I don't know what the, what that feeling is, but the, the statement is, what are we doing? <laughs> 2023 has been so much about thinking about like what's next is this next do we do this forever you know meanwhile I have all these siblings and they live all across the country and the pandemic is over and I what I love the most is connecting with people and community so the fantasy this is the fantasy plan that we're we're going to work to manifest is to plan a trip that takes us across the country of the United States of America and I will visit and meet each of my siblings. They conveniently live like one in a state that takes us further and further east all the way to Florida. And I would love to visit each of them and talk with them about who Peter was, what it meant to them to have him as a dad, discuss or explore what it means to me if he was my biological father, if it means anything, and meet up with anybody and everyone from the DNA discovery community in between each sibling um, for barbecues or dinners or horseshoes or whatever we want to do and see this country and meet people and do some podcasting about it, but also do some writing about it and maybe do some documenting as far as videos, you know, video interviews or, or lives or whatever, you know, just sort of multimedia it. Yeah, that's the dream. And then to be able to, to put that all together into some kind of project. 
finished finished product that is a combination of those things. And if there were kind of a a project or a mission for all of that, could, how would you kind of try to sum it up or, or articulate it? What are you looking for, man, out there in America? I was just to say, I was just, I was just... <laughs> we all have to look for America. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but it is kind of exploring America, meeting people in person, finding out how we're similar and how we're different, finding out more about what it means to be to be in this DNA discovery world, who we are. Um, and then does it matter? Does it, does it matter who Peter was? Does it matter to me? And who am I if he was who he was? And does that feel unresolved to you now? Yes. 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 It feels un- unresolved to me, to me. And there's, there's people that have very strong feelings about it. And I feel very unsure sort of robbed of some of the opportunity of that because he died well that sounds great to me <laughs> do you want to come if you have time definitely Kaylin might not have time you guys oh no i'll have time I, I really want to do this to go do it um and and i i think sort of asking does dna matter um and having all of these different ways of asking and exploring that question within the umbrella of one big trip or one mm-hmm. big project uh, is a very, very good way to put it um, and a very interesting subject. Yeah, so. I, f- I feel really excited when I think about it. And I haven't felt really excited about, about a, you know, about about an idea like this in a long time. Um, and And I also, I know that you don't put a lot of stock in this, but I was, before this idea was so solidified, I felt, I just felt so unsure. Like, is this what we're supposed to do? Should I just keep the podcast exactly how it is? It's going great. Like, why stop a good thing? And I went and did a tarot reading <laughs> with a woman at a higher hope and healing retreat in Texas this last summer. And I don't know if you are listening, if you know anything about tarot, but I had the most powerful reading I've ever had. It left me with no doubt that we we have to do this. This is, this is the next project. And ever since then, I have felt so much confidence in it, even though I have no idea how we're going to do it. I have no idea. Things are all over the place in my mind, but it's like, we need, we need an RV. We need a map. We need, (laughs) I haven't even asked my siblings, all these half siblings all across the country. I haven't even told them about this yet. Um, that seems important. You know, um, we need a plan. We need funding. But I think I think we can figure it out. I feel so even just like I thought that actually saying this in on the podcast was going to like I thought I was going to have like a vulnerability spiral mm-hmm. and just feel totally naked. And right now I feel so excited talking about it out loud. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like now I'm not going to be able to sleep. Um <laughs> Because and and that was and part of wanting to talk about it was so that we had to make it happen. Yeah. Now all these people are going to be waiting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean timeline. I think you already said this, but you're you're thinking of doing this like potentially next summer. So yeah. what we're really talking about is about a year off mm-hmm. from. Yeah, and it's and I still feel, I still feel like 
There are so many people waiting to do a podcast with me that I can't say I'm never going to do that. Sure. I may, I may give me the holiday season and maybe if we can find some time to, to, to do, got all these people. So people are still, someone contacting me today. If I could do it without, without all the stress, if I can get that done, those episodes are still a possibility. Like a woman actually contacted me recently and was like, you said in one of your episodes that you might not be podcasting anymore. And I just, she had all these ideas for different ways that I could still mm. do it. And one of them was like, what if we don't expect them every Friday? What if it's just whenever you can? And I've been thinking about that more. And it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll just do them when I can. If I don't have the pressure, mm-hmm. there actually may be more free time to do it. You know how that happens sometimes? Mm-hmm. So one way to sort of keep everybody abreast of the of the developments of it is I think we'll um I'll put together a like what's called a substack, which is now a new way to have a blog and a newsletter put together. Probably you can subscribe to that and it will come out that will be a way for me to get back into writing. Um and that will be a little bit about the development of the plan and Well to me a statement I'm sorry to cut you off. I didn't I thought <laughs> but I to me a, uh, all on the table, of course, but but a, a statement of purpose or a statement of intent for the next phase. Maybe these things can be fueling that or sort of pushing you toward that if you yeah. sort of look at them in, uh, with a slightly new lens, mm-hmm. um, so that it doesn't just feel like you're slipping back into the old version, which is fine as well. But right. like, but I love the idea that we you you would use the Substack or even subsequent interviews to sort of start to specify that question. Yeah. Um, and and then sort of all as a kind of launch pad to yeah. kind of where you're taking it. Brilliant. That's why you're the producer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my job here is done. You have the vision. I feel so grateful. And I thought that I would spend a lot of time on this podcast. Like I was like, I, I, want, I should have a list of the things I want to say to everyone about all the things I didn't do right for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even mean it that negatively. I just meant like, like, well, this is one thing. A woman called me recently and left a message on my machine. She's from Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or somewhere, a P, I think a P word. She said, like, hey, I just want to tell you my story. Uh, I just want to talk and tell you my story. I would love to connect. And I lost her message. <laughs> and I feel so bad. So if you were out there and you called me recently and you are a older than me woman, I would say 60 or older, and you called me recently and maybe you're kind of a brassy broad. I don't know. I I don't want to put too much into into that message, but I feel so bad. I feel so bad. I really try to connect with every single person that reaches out to me. If you ever reached out and I didn't get back to you, please know it was 100% an accident. And I still, now that I've wrapped up the season five, um, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be like getting back to all these people that have written me over the past few months that I haven't been able to write back and contact all these people that want to do messages and I have so many ideas and I'm not very organized. Um, and, and so I thought maybe at one point I'd be like, like, okay, and I wish I had done this and tell this person that. And, and I, I'm not even organized enough to get that list together. But, but I, right now I feel so good just sitting here thinking about next year. Is there anything that that you would like to sort of say as parting words? I mean, do you want to kind of close this yourself? I, I don't feel equipped mm. to do that. No. 
Just uh, no. I mean, I guess I want to express my gratitude to everybody for telling their stories with me and listening and contacting me and all the different ways that people have expressed support. It really has kept me going. This has been the strangest, most unexpected, biggest, most best project of my life for sure. And it's not over. It's not over, but it's going to change. We're in a time of growth and change and I'm so excited and I hope you all come with me and I hope I get to visit as many of you as possible on this road trip. Help me plan some meetups. Reach out if you know how to do that. Yeah, and if you're between California and Florida, <laughs> reach out. Reach out. Reach out. <laughs> um, yeah, oh man. I feel like I have so much to say and also I'm sort of speechless because it's not over. Yeah, no, oh, man, this doesn't now I feel need, pressured. No, no, this doesn't need to be a big sort of like everything you would ever want to no, say. No, no, no. There's more to my, there's more to the story. There's more to everybody's stories. I want to do a whole season of like, where are they now? And touch base with everybody from the first season. And yeah, I have so many ideas and, and it's still all happening. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Thanks. Thanks right. for, thanks for. Thanks for thanks for this, Eve. Thanks for the whole show. It was really it was really great. And I know we're not I know it's not over, but um th- this was a is a is a massive milestone to sort of say that and a ma- and a very brave thing to say that we're we're you you wanna change it and evolve it and sort of end on a very high note, I think, and on a on a very successful run and, and what a what a um what a genuinely astonishing accomplishment. So uh thanks. Thanks for being my husband. Thanks for having good words. Good words, <laughs> sort husband. Of. Um, okay. okay. Let's stop. All right. Okay, bye. See you, everybody. Okay, bye. I love you. <laughs> Let us be lovers. We'll marry our fortunes together. I've got some real estate here in my bed. So we bought pack of cigarettes and Mrs. Wagner pies and walked off to look for America Kathy I said as we boarded a greyhound in Pittsburgh Michigan seems like a dream to me Took me four days to hitchhike from Saginaw. Come to look for America. I still have little, we still have little kids. And I realized also, I was like, what is so different about 2023? Like, why is this the hardest year of my life? Not the hardest. 2018 was for sure the hardest, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 2023 is not over yet. Yeah. Is there anything that you felt like you didn't quite get to that we could either put now or edit back in earlier? Gosh, I'll probably think of it. I'll probably like go to bed now and then think of it four in the morning. Well, good news. We live together. So (laughs) this, we could always. (laughs) (coughs) Nothing but romance in this house. Podcasting and coughing. 
Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumel. Logo designed by Ivy McNally and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. 